welcome back to Just for Farmers. Last time we talked about, I suppose, I suppose, Paul, it was a bit of a state of the nation. We was the, we, this is where we're at. This is what's coming. Are you ready? And we, we alluded to, but didn't actually go into any great depth on how farmers need to engage with the future workforce and how we need to find them and deal with them and manage them. But we never actually talked about how to interview people. And some of the farmers I know, they're, they're brilliant at what they do, but that interview process can be terrifying for them. Mm-hmm. Many of them just spend time just verbalising about them and the farm rather than asking questions of the candidates. So so how how can a farmer improve their interview process? Again, I think we talked in the last session a little about this um, pause again. So in line with this is part of the recruitment process, if we're in panic mode, we're desperate for somebody, that often then transfers itself into the approach to an interview, which is I've got to convince this person that we are the right place to work. And actually that you, you mentioned something in the last session, which is worth mentioning just again here when we're thinking about interviewing is the world has changed. You know, when there is so much opportunity out there for somebody now, where when 20 years ago, when you were going for an interview, your job was to convince the employer that you were the right person for them. Yep. So that was our job. The interview, that was why it was scary, because you knew, you know, you had to convince them that you're the right person because they had so many people to choose from. The whole situation is now reversed. Now, we as an employer have got to convince the employee that we're the right person for them to work for. So the the dynamics have changed quite considerably and quite frequently, particularly in in agriculture, somebody who's looking for a job on a farm will probably have, if they've done their research and they've applied for a few jobs, they'll have three or four jobs they can choose from. So, and, and time is of the essence as well. So you can't say, well, I'll interview in a month's time because they'll have found the job by then. So the time has changed. There's a sense of urgency and the employee is holding the power right now. So therefore the interview is absolutely critical in terms of your chance of, of engaging with that person. So there's a few things we need to think about. First of all, because we don't want to be in this panic state, because often what that means is, again, is that we rush the interview. We don't prepare for it. We just blart over people and try and oversell yeah. your farm. Um, I have to say selling is not telling, you know, that's just talking at people. So a couple of things, a couple of tips I give you here. First of all, think of the structure of an interview. An interview needs some structure. And often what a typical farming interview will be is the person arrives on farm. We perhaps we might offer them a cup of tea, but actually what we'll do as soon as we can, we jump into the Land Rover or a Kubota or a farm machinery uh, and we show them around the farm because that's that's how you do the interview, isn't it, on farm? We show them around the farm. We tell them all about what we do. We show them the animals. We show them the fields. We show them the machinery. And at the end of it, we come back and go, God, that was a really nice person. I quite like them. And we offer them the job. That's not an interview. That's just showing people around. Because often what happens is you don't ask particular deep questions. We're just having a chat about the farm. Because farmers love to talk about farming. So they'll talk about their farm. 
Right. So what we need to do is think of the structure, which is, first of all, undertake a professional structured interview. That's the first stage. Once you've had your cup of tea and you've settled the candidate down. And by the way, do consider where you're going to do the interview. If it's in the middle of the kitchen and the children are running around and you've got your breakfast stuff still not washed up and there's piles of magazines that haven't been read around, you've got to think about the environment in which the person is coming in to have that interview. If it's the farm office, is it chaotic? Does it look a complete mess? Is the the broken chairs to sit on? That first impression that we give right down to what you're dressed like, how you look, whether you're on time, People will make a decision within the first 30 seconds, even going down the drive. If they drive down your farm drive to the interview and the farm sign is hanging off, there's broken machinery. The drive is so full of potholes, I'm going to ground my vehicle. The the old little blue Ford tractor rusting away in the corner (laughs) of the field. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And the workshop that you drive past and there's tools rusted to the top of the workbench. Literally, these small amounts of details can massively, even before we get into the interview, make a difference to how that person is going to make a decision in the first 30 seconds. I actually think it's in the first three seconds, but the the, the research says it's about 30 seconds. I'll make a decision. That first 30 seconds could even be the, the farm drive when they meet you, you know, when they get out the vehicle, what's the farm look like? What does the yard look like? There's so many things to think about. It goes back to that. We need to plan and structure it. So once we've checked out that the farm looks smart, and we've got we've got a, a, a tidy environment for them to have a, their interview in. What are we going to ask them? What are we going to ask people? Just before we go there, Paul, um, and you you may be giving some comment here that farmers don't want to hear. But what would your advice be to any farmer who has just had a thought in their head, listening to you there? But this is farming. They've got to see it for what it really is. And this is how it is. What would you say to that? And that's a really good comeback, David, because that probably is what people are thinking. And of course, we're not talking about a hospital and the Queen's coming to visit, you know, and everything's got to be clean and pristine. But you've got to think about looking at it, particularly if we're looking at people who haven't worked in farming before. In the last session, we talked a lot about how do we get new people, young people involved in farming. They're not going to be comparing it to the local Tesco's, but if you've got your farm sign and it's hanging off by a screw and it's clearly a lack of attention to detail, or as we talked about the rusting machinery, the piece of guttering that's just constantly leaking, these are small details that matter now because I can choose whether I want to work for you or somebody else so if I come into your office and it's chaotic it's piles of paper everywhere I'm going to think "Mm, how are these people running this this organization those whether we like it or not and we may not want to hear it people will be making those judgments oh yeah but I'm too busy to tidy the office okay that's fine but don't expect to get the best people out there on your farm then it's it's the, the this this amount of preparation and planning is if I want to be the best and get the best, is it worth just standing at the end of your farm drive and imagining you're arriving for the first time? Because many of us, whether it's our houses or our businesses, we don't notice what we see every day. There's somebody arriving on your farm for the first Good time yeah. does notice it, whether yeah. it's you know, the, if you're watching this rather than listening to it, the, the stuff behind you and I in our offices, Dave, somebody else might be thinking, oh, what's that behind you there? Because they spot it because we don't see it. 
So we're clearly not expecting people to have, you know, as you say, a hospitalized environment on a farm. But you've got to think about is my farm as smart, as tidy, as well run in a perception of someone looking at it as the farm down the road where I'm going for an interview tomorrow? This is what's going to make the difference now. Small details. And that's why I say if it's your kitchen, just make sure you've washed up. Before people come in, you know, if you're going to offer them a coffee, make sure that the mug is clean that you're giving them. And the reason I'm saying this is I've been on farms where this isn't the case. And you think, how are you really expecting to really impress somebody when you haven't taken account of those small details? And an industry can change. And I know know this one should be about the interview, but I I want to labour this point because I, I originally trained as a chef. And this was back in the early, early mid eighties and kitchens, especially in big hotels and restaurants were, were still quite grubby places to work. Very long hours, a bit like farming. Uh, you know, a, a lot of farming and catering analogies would work in terms oh, of yeah. employment in the workplace. You know, most head chefs were aggressive, sometimes violent people. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. Not nice places to work in a lot of cases. And yet the industry underwent this massive transformation. So now it's like everybody's hobby is to learn about food and drink and you know, Saturday morning kitchen and chefs are some major celebrities and farming can do that. And it's interesting and, just yeah, before we get into back into interviewing again, people talk about Jeremy Clarkson and he's a bit of a Marmite character. You either dislike him or you like him. A lot of people in the farming sector have really bought into what he's doing because you've got the, the country file, the BBC slightly pink and fluffy view of what farming is, you know, not particularly realistic at times. Clarkson's a bit more raw. He shows a bit more of the raw edge. But what he is also doing is a bit like the chef thing. It's now we've got Saturday morning farming. <laughs> it's with Jeremy Clarkson. So we're starting to get a different perception. And he is actually selling the industry and showing, yeah. you know, a bit of warts and all. But he is showing sometimes the better side of the industry in a more realistic way. So I think you're right that we can change. And when we're thinking again about the interview with people, this what we're talking about here is this pausing and planning, these two P's yeah. that you mentioned before, is we've got to just not just dive into it. And then if I come back to the structure of an interview, just think about the questions that we want to ask. On my website, real-success.co.uk, you can download on our resources page a free set of interview questions. But we have them typed out on a piece of paper so that you can make notes whilst you're talking because you can't always remember every question you need to ask. So have that sort of list of questions and try and make them what's called open questions. And Dave, do you want to explain what an open question is and a closed question? Yeah, I learned very early on in, when interviewing uh, from other researchers that you, you need to mix it up between open and closed questions. Mm-hmm. An open question is a question that almost demands an answer or a response. And a closed question is one that just evokes a yes or a no one or two word answer. And an open question gets people to think. And so by watching someone responding to an open question, you can tell whether or not they're scared because they'll show it or whether or not they're thinking, considering, and then giving a rational answer. Uh, A closed question 
enables them just to relax a bit because all oh, that's easier to answer. If all you ever do is only answer, ask open questions, people will feel pressured. So if you ask a couple of open questions, followed by an easy closed question, it puts the interviewee at ease. Exactly. And the examples are things like open questions that, that we that I would recommend people use are, are words or questions that often begin with phrases like, so tell me about, tell me about your experience on your last farm. You can't answer that question with yes or no. It's got to be, I've got to explain it. So how did that work out for you then? Well, okay, and you've got to explain it. So an open question often invokes an explanation and actually gets some talking. A closed question is, well, did you enjoy that? No. Yes, it's a closed question. So as you say, mixing up. So, you know, when, what's the favourite part of your work on the farm? Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, is that something you think you're quite skilled at? Yeah. And you blend it, these open and closed questions. It really helps you to get uh, further. One thing I do notice and goes back a little bit to personality styles is often people will use what I call leading questions. So let, me give you, <laughs> let me give you an example. Okay? Yes, go on. If I'm somebody who's um, what we refer to in previous sessions, listen back to me if you're not sure, what I would refer to as a visionary or in insights, it would be more of a red, somebody who's quite direct, quite results orientated. Yeah. I might ask a question like this. So on our farm, it's about milk in the tank. It's about results. It's about achieving those numbers, hitting those KPIs. That's what's going to drive profitability. Tell me, Dave, uh, are numbers important to you? Are results important to you? What are you going to say with that question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course they are. Yeah, yeah, good, good. You're the right person for me then, Dave. Sign the contract here. We're in. Because no one's going to say no to that. Similarly, if somebody's more high on detail and structure and protocols. See, on our farm, we really like to work with extensive protocols. You know, um, we, we have a protocol for all the different important parts of the farm. We want to make sure, therefore, the standards are maintained. Tell me, you know, standards are important to you, Dave. What are you yes, going to say? They yes, they are. Good. Excellent, Dave. You're the right person. for. Can you see how this goes? Yeah. So maybe they should be asking something along the lines of, oh, can you give an example on your last farm or your last piece of employment where you were really good with protocols, procedures, yeah. administration? Well, I, exactly. Or on your, yeah, so in, on your previous um, employment, how were results measured? That's the first guy, as opposed to results are important to me. Tell me, are they important to you? Well, of course they are. I'm, I'm going to say yes. So people often say to me, look, we interviewed this person really well. They told me they could do this. They hadn't told you. You told them <laughs> through your leading question because they just said yeah. yes because they want the job. So actually give me an example of you know how you measured results. How did you maintain standards on your previous job? Um. Uh, I don't know, really. Right. Now we're getting the truth. So being careful not to ask those what I call leading questions, which is a statement followed by a, a question that refers to the statement. Yeah. So results are important to me. Are they important to you? <laughs> so I've made a statement and asked you a question. I see that so often when I'm listening in to people doing their interviewing that they'll use a leading question. So be careful of that. And to any farmers now in a blind panic over, I don't know what questions to ask. Relax. You know your farm better than anybody else. So consider what it is, going back to what Paul said about what's the role you want this person to play, and then ask them questions that begin with open question words. So ask them what, where, how, when, why, which, and 
that's that's the start of an open question. And just think, what is it you want them to be doing? And ask them a question starting with any of those words. It's an open question. It is. And often we can think in terms of a journey through an interview. You know, so what do we start with? We normally start with, come on, tell me a bit about your previous job. Tell me about what you're doing right now. That gets the person relaxed. It gets them talking about themselves. Most people are, are, are relatively comfortable speaking about ourselves. Don't go straight in with, so what are you good at? Because we're not always comfortable talking about what we're good at. Begin with, tell me about what you're doing on your farm. Then often we'll ask a question, so what do you think the role on this farm is going to be about? It checks to see if they've done any research on the farm. What do you know about my business? It's not a question of how much research has somebody done, but it's an indication as to yeah. their interest. Of course, yeah. if you haven't got a website, you haven't got a Facebook page, <laughs> you can't find anything about you at all. That's another session we talked about last time. <laughs> but in terms of what do you know about us? What do you think the job will be about? You know, Then maybe things like, well, what do you enjoy most about the job that you're doing now? And what do you find more challenging? What are your greatest strengths? What do people say you're good at? Now, come on, what do you think are your lesser strengths or your weaker areas? That's often a really powerful question to ask people. Then you can ask them about themselves. You know, so how would you describe your personality? How would you describe how you like to work? A great question is, what sort of people annoy you? What sort of people annoy you? And often people go, ooh, mm. but these are quite deep questions, but that you can see they're all quite open questions. So begin with, you know, what they've done before. Talk a bit about the job that you're expecting them to do. And then at the end of it, make sure you give enough time once you've asked them about what their ambitions are and what they like doing on the farm, what they're good at, et cetera. Right. What would you like to know about not only the farm, but about me as your employer? What would you want to know about? me i mean you could even ask them a question what are you looking for in an employer great question to find uh, yeah then you can often tailor your answer to meet that if you're really keen on the person but give them the chance to ask questions often people won't have many questions because often they're so bamboozled by the interview and having to speak about themselves they can get a bit of brain freeze so don't think to yourself well they've got no questions so then they're no good then it's that's can often be an assumption but do give people the chance to ask questions um, about you and the farm and how you like to operate and then obviously then finish off with what i call the the housekeeping beats so what's your notice period what sort of salary you're looking for or hourly rate you're looking for yeah do you need accommodation have you got you know five kids three budgerigars and six dogs that we need to accommodate get those housekeeping bits in place once you've done all of that then you can say right if you're thinking yes, this person has the potential to be who I'm looking for, then you would show them around the farm. Because yeah. there is no point in spending an hour showing somebody around the farm to then sit and discover they haven't got any of the skills, qualifications or attributes that you need. So sometimes, you know, it's better to do the structured piece first. And sometimes it doesn't happen often. You might actually think, you know what, this person's not right. There is no point in then spending an hour showing them around the farm. It's almost disingenuous because you're not going to necessarily take them on, take them on. So that's the structure. And it's it's the same. It's the same in the sales world. You know, sales professionals they learn that you can waste so much time and energy and resource explaining to a customer the benefits, the value, the investment, and the savings and the profits. But if you haven't qualified that customer first, you're going to bang your head against the wall because they're not the right person. They haven't got the decision making power. They haven't got the budget or the need. So if you've got three or four killer questions that will help you determine whether or not someone's right to even come to the farm for an interview and be shown around 
why don't you just have a preliminary 15-minute chat on the phone first to qualify them that they are w- worth you spending that time and investing that energy in interviewing them? Really good point, David, because we talk and advise um, uh, clients to have what exactly what you call a screening call. Don't just take it on the basis of their application. Give them a call. Ask them some key screening questions, which is why you're leaving your current job. What are you looking for now? What is your salary? Because, again, I remember a classic story someone told me once about how um, they didn't do any screening at all, pre-screening. There was no screening call. This person came for an interview. They spent three hours interviewing this person. They seemed they absolutely bang on. uh, And and they right at the very, very, very end of the conversation, they said, right, so uh, what are you looking for in terms of salary? And it doesn't matter what the numbers were. It was something like the farm was looking to pay about 30 to 35 grand. And this person said, I'm looking for about 60K. And there was this sort of tumbleweed moment, you know, <laughs> where, what? <laughs> and they'd, and it's, well, that's what I'm on now. And they didn't know, they hadn't, even at the screening call, realised that there was no point in interviewing that person because the simple basic fact was they weren't going to come for the sort of money that they were going to offer. So you're quite right that part of the process is to have that screening call beforehand. Again, you can ask a few questions around accommodation. What I often ask is what's the family situation? Um, You can't ask people their age or their gender or that sort of stuff, but you can ask what's your family situation? Because particularly if you're a farm that's offering accommodation, it's a justifiable question. Because again, if you're a single person and I've got a five bedroom property, I might want to shuffle my accommodation around rather than putting a single person into a five bedroom property. Similarly, this is right up front in the screening questions before you get to interview. If my accommodation is a two bedroom cottage and the person's got six children, four dogs, a budgery guy and a rabbit, then you're probably not going to be able to squeeze them into the accommodation. So you might be able to shuffle things around. But these early questions can save you a huge amount of time. Masses, masses. Okay, so. We've got them in, in the interview process now. What what else can really help them land the best candidate? So just finishing off on the interview process, people often say to me, well, can't I just show them around the farm first? Because that's where I can build up a bit of rapport with them and get them relaxed Valid and point. then have the structured interview. Yeah. My recommendation on years of experience is it is far easier to go from formal to informal. So do the formal piece first, get that out of the way, if you like, and then they can relax and be informal. (laughs) And it is to go from informal, they think they're your best mate, to now suddenly start asking them quite formal questions. It can be a bit off-putting. And also it saves the time if you've decided through the formal process that it's not going to be worth showing them around the farm. So I always say with the process, do the formal piece first, a formal piece done informally. So I'm not suggesting you need to be stiff and starchy, but do it formally with the structure. Then they can relax and you can start to build a personal rapport with that person afterwards. Does that make sense? It does. So uh, I'm, I'm prepared for you to just laugh at me now. Because I'm going to say it could be stupid, but is there any scope for any kind of a practical section in an interview? So when, when I used to interview people to become a chef, the, the standard remit was go down to the kitchen, cook me an omelette. Because Brilliant. actually that shows a, a grasp of a firm set of skills. 
Perfect. Now, you're, it's not a silly question at all. So okay. if, if we stick with the process, which is what we're yeah. still on at the moment, you're absolutely right. We wouldn't normally necessarily encourage someone to do a practical part of the interview process because you might be interviewing two or three people. But certainly we encourage in a farm what we call a trial day. So you get someone once you think, yes, you're you're the person I think that we want to offer the job to, you would then invite them to come on farm for a day and do some milking, drive a tractor, actually show what they can do. You need to pay their expenses, maybe put them up in some accommodation. You don't have to pay them for that day particularly. That's their investment in proving to you they can do the job, but you can certainly pay their expenses should you wish to. But get them to come and do a milking if you're a livestock farm, come and work with the sheep, work with the poultry, whatever it might be, get them to come and do a trial day before you make your formal offer. Don't just base the, the the decision on, yes, they've told me they can cook using your analogy. Well, show me you can cook <laughs> and then we'll then talk about it afterwards. That And there's another reason for doing that. And it circles right back to our personality profiling. I yeah. want to see how they fit in with the team. I might want to see how the team respond to them. I, want, I might want to get my team's, perspective on this person who in theory at my interview looks like they might be the right person but let's now introduce them you might not want to introduce them to bob you know our famous friend that's the grumpy one that (laughs) you know might put them off but certainly get them working with somebody who's important on the farm maybe the herd manager depending on what the position is and get them to show you what you can do so your omelette analogy is a really good one i think it's very important that we take people on trial on a farm and if somebody says you know and if somebody says they don't want to do a trial red flag there may be some um, logistical difficulties with doing that if somebody's based in aberdeen and you're based in lands end you know that's quite a tricky logistics yeah. thing yeah. to organize yeah. uh, you can also do by the way an initial interview a bit like a extended screening interview via zoom now so again, if people are a long distance away, rather than bringing them all the way down to the farm to do the structured piece of the interview, you can do that on Zoom and very quickly discover actually, thank goodness, there was no point in bringing them all the way down because they don't have the skills and attributes that we need. So you can use technology as well to make the whole process slightly smoother. If they're travelable, if that's the right word, if they can come and visit you, then you don't need to do that particularly. But certainly that initial screening call can be done by telephone or by by Zoom. <laughs> travelable. I, I think that ought to be a word. If it's not. <laughs> it's, okay. it's, <laughs> it's quite a brummy word, doesn't it? Travelable. There you go. It's uh, As you know, we're both, both proud brummies. So, so the question you asked, though, was then, OK, so we've interviewed them. How can we ensure that they, they want to choose us? It will be, obviously, things like the competitive package that you offer. So it's about understanding what you need to offer. It's also understanding what's included in that offer. So often, not in every case, particularly if it's local people, but often one of the the challenges and the opportunities we have in farming is that for many farmers, they offer accommodation which what that enables us to do is have a much broader reach in terms of our workforce. So traditionally, if you're going to work in the local bank, you're not going to travel 400 miles to do that every day. So it's generally local people. With agriculture, because we can offer properties if we have them, we can then extend our reach of who's available way beyond our local community. So having accommodation is a huge benefit in terms of the 
package versus people from other industries. So when we're talking yeah. in the last session about how do we attract people into agriculture, and I know accommodation's a double-edged sword, it can be a headache, but it's also an opportunity. If we have accommodation and you build the value of that into your overall package, let me give you an example. So I'm going to work in Tesco's. And I'm going to work for £10 an hour, £10.41 an hour minimum wage. Fantastic. Out of that £10.41, I've got to find my rent, my mortgage, my council tax, my electricity bills, all that extra cost. With agriculture, often that's paid for. I don't have to find rent or mortgage. Some people, some farmers will pay your council tax. You might have to pay your own electricity and gas because that's based on how, how often you have your heaters on. But suddenly a 30 grand package is now, if you think of it in terms of taxable income, a 45 to 50 grand package at the age of 25. So we can really make sure that we are selling all of the benefits. If, you're provi- if you are providing accommodation, you are paying the council tax, give people time off, you know, it, it, be clear on the amount of holidays you're giving to people. Try and make, say, our ambition is that we're on 52 hours a week at the moment. We want to get it to 48 hours a week. Talk about how you're trying to improve working conditions. Have a decent staff room. You know, some of the working conditions on farm, I think we talked about in one of the first sessions, are, you know, they don't even have a working toilet. Don't expect people to come and work in agriculture. There's not even a working toilet that I can use on the farm or hot water to wash my hands. So the way we're going to make sure we secure the best people at the end of the interview is when they've gone around the farm, there's a half-decent staff room with a kettle that works, a microwave that doesn't blow up, a settee that wasn't heading to the tip, you know, a toilet that works, maybe somewhere to put my overalls in at the end of the day to wash my clothes and a house or a mobile home that is dry, warm and well-maintained. That's the, the key, really, because that's the, those will be the differences that say, am I going to work for you, David, or am I going to work for Johnny down the road who's got a better house, a better accommodation, better working conditions, better hours? The pay is about the same, but it's all those other things that matter. So that's how we can then hopefully secure them in. And then finally, we talk about a professional onboarding process or an induction process. Often the onboarding process on a farm is welcome, Fred. Lovely to have you here. There's the milking parlour. There's the tractor. Go and talk to Johnny. He'll take you around the farm. Good luck. Yeah. Where are the cows? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's not an onboarding process. So one of the things I would say to anybody listening or watching is that the recruitment process doesn't end when the person arrives for their first day. It continues through their first week. I mean, the first 100 days, actually, which is about three months, is the most important time in someone's career. But I actually say the first 100 hours, which is the first week, effectively, is the most important bit when everything is set. So, again, we're going to sound like stuck records here. Plan. (laughs) Pause and plan. What is the plan for the first week? Who are they going to meet? You've got to get your, your, your essentials out of, play, uh, out of the way, first of all. Get contracts signed. Make sure right-to-work checks have been done. You know, all, all the really important legal stuff. Then how are they going to spend their first day? Who are they going to spend it with? Who are they going to shadow? Who's going to show them where all the facilities are on the farm? Who's going to maybe take them out for dinner one day to in, 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 in include them into the farming family? You know, the induction programme, the onboarding process will set the scene for that person's employment with you. 
So if you do all that right, and gosh, again, you might be thinking, gosh, there's so much to think about here. It sounds a lot, but it's relatively simple steps that can make a huge difference to the profitability. And another another new word for you, attractability of attractability. your <laughs> <laughs> And And at the end of the day, the consequences of not onboarding someone properly means that that individual, rather than be a true asset to your business, can become a liability. And the only reason you hire somebody is to make the farm better. So to not, I, 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 you might, you might criticize me for saying this, Paul, I would say it is better not to employ someone and keep your farm at X level than think, how can we move forward? Let's employ someone, but not interview them properly, not onboard them properly, not look after them, not, it, it's far better to do something right and get the result you want. I absolutely agree. You know, my, my 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 advice would be don't employ somebody unless you go through the process you've spoken, because the danger is, and this is what happens, you know, we employ people and it just doesn't work out. And what tends to happen is we always blame the employee. Yeah. We say they weren't right. They clearly weren't truthful at the interview. They told me they can milk cows. They clearly never have done. Well, did you do a trial? Uh, no. Um, have you trained them uh, first two or three weeks? Uh, well, we didn't need to train them. They told me they could do it. Well, did we check? So exactly, David, you know, you're far better to go through the process carefully, slowly, and in a considered way. Yes, it might mean that you're short-staffed for a while, but better to do that than um, than rush it. And also, there's also another final piece is what I call fast failure, which is, if you have discovered, you've done all the things we talked about, okay, so you've done the interview process, you've recruited effectively, you've got your farm staff room sorted, all those things are in place, and yet clearly somebody doesn't fit or it doesn't work for them. This is why you would have a probation period in an employment contract. So normally our probation periods are three months. You can often find out within three weeks whether someone's going to fit or work, yeah. but yeah. if it clearly isn't, or most importantly, their attitude isn't right and they are starting to influence other people, you're sometimes better to exit that person quickly than you are to say, yeah, I know, but it means we've got to go through the whole process again. And, oh, God, it was so laborious before. Let's just stick with that person. No, because sometimes that person will have such a negative knock-on effect to others that the overall performance of the farm drops. So sometimes fast failure is, a, is, is the only solution. And yes, it means you've got to start again, but you keep going until you get the right person. The right one. Love it, Paul. Okay, in, in Paul Harris style, we will now pause before going Thank into you. the next section. 